0: If you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, we're looking at the last four verses of Luke this morning. It's Luke 24, starting at verse 50. The words are also printed in your bulletin for you. So Luke 24, starting at verse 50, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen. You may be seated. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of Luke, for what you have given to us through the power of your Holy Spirit through your servant Luke. And I pray that as we look at these last several verses of this gospel, that you would open up our minds and our hearts uh, to hear from you by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You may not know this about me, but you could probably figure it out. Um, I'm pretty nostalgic. Uh, I tend to get a little emotional sometimes, uh, especially when thinking about things in the past and whatnot, Uh, looking back on on tender moments in my life. uh, Leaving high school was one of those moments. Uh, I remember very vividly during my senior year getting close to the end um, I, I really enjoyed my time in high school. Uh, if you asked me if I would want to go back, <laughs> uh, I would say no. <laughs> I don't know many people who would want to relive their high school years. Uh, those are some, some hard ones, but also some good ones. Um, but uh, I had some very fond memories during that time, and most of them actually revolved around the basketball court. Um, I had four great years of playing basketball in high school, uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, I remember my last stroll, in a sense, uh, through that gym uh, my la- uh, during my last several days of high school. Uh, I just took some time to just be there. There was nobody else around and uh, just was kind of walking the court and just remembering the blood and the sweat and the tears that had been spilled on that court during the last four years. Uh, the games that I'd played. Uh, the shots that I made, the more shots that I missed that I made, <laughs> um, just, the, just the memories of that. Uh, I kind of feel like that as we're getting here to the end of Luke. I feel kind of nostalgic um, knowing that we've been in Luke now for two and a half years. That's a long time. That's a long time to, to be in one book. Um, and to be honest, I'm ready to move on and I'm excited about what God is leading us to next. Next. Um, but I'm also, it's also kind of a bittersweet moment because I feel like God has taught us a lot as we've studied this book together. Uh, as we move on, it's going to be um, vaguely familiar because we're going to, in a sense, Luke Volume 2. So next week we're going to be starting the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke and which is also written to his friend Theophilus. Whether that's an actual person or not, we can still debate about that. Um, But what we're going to see this morning and actually starting next week as well is that the Ascension kind of provides a bridge for us between Luke uh, volume 1 and Acts volume 2. The last couple of verses of Luke mention the Ascension and the first several verses of Acts also mention the Ascension. So we have this bridge here. And uh, what my hope has been as we have studied this book together is that why Luke wrote it has come to fruition in our lives. That he wrote it so that Theophilus might have certainty regarding the things that he had been taught. And I hope that over the last two and a half years that in this age of relativism and of no truth and you make your own truth, that we have come to see with certainty what is true. And that is the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, the ruling and reigning of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we conclude Luke this morning, uh, here's what we will look at as we, as we view the ascension. And that is this, that the ascension proves to us that the gospel is true. So we have this bookend in a sense Luke writes it so that we might have certainty, and in the end, he puts the stamp on it with the ascension that all these things, because Christ has ascended, all these things are true. You can have certainty. And because of that, therefore, we are filled with great joy as we worship God. So the ascension proves to us that the gospel is true, and because of that, we can have joy and worship God. Uh, the Ascension, first and foremost, is a vital part of the Gospel story. Now, we don't celebrate the Ascension like we do uh, Christ's death, uh, His birth, His resurrection. Um, sometimes it kind of gets lost. And we just kind of, uh, after Easter, we kind of just get back into to normal, uh, normal life, in a sense. And we usually don't spend too much time on the Ascension. But, as you noticed in the Apostles' Creed this morning... That is a vital part of the gospel. If the, the Apostles' Creed is the summary of what we believe as Christians, we say in the Apostles' Creed, we say that Jesus ascended into heaven and is, at the, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So the ascension is vital. And why is the ascension vital? That's the question. Number one, the ascension is vital because it proves who Jesus is. It proves the lordship And the kingship of Jesus. And this is extremely important. Uh, Westminster Catechism, uh, question and answer, sorry, the shorter Catechism, question and answer 28, talks about the exaltation of Christ. It says, Wherein consists Christ's exaltation? And the answer is this Christ's exaltation consists in his rising again from the dead on the third day, in ascending up into heaven, in sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and in coming to judge the world at the last day. So we know that when Christ came to earth, he was humiliated. He gave of himself, he became a servant, he even gave of himself to the point of death. But we also know that in his humiliation, he was also exalted. And we see that in his resurrection, in his ascension, and of where he is right now, sitting at God's right hand. And that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So uh, the the women have been studying Philippians uh, over the last several months. And one of my favorite passages in Philippians is chapter 2. And uh, in this great, uh, almost a hymn, we believe, that that Paul pens here, he ends it in verses 9 through 11. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every uh, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Honestly, is there any higher place that you could possibly get than at the right hand of God the Father in heaven? There is none. There is none. So the ascension is like the coronation of Jesus, Uh, We know that he holds three offices. He holds the office of a prophet, a priest, and a king. And what the ascension shows us is that this is like his coronation as the king of kings. Um, If you ever watched the movie Frozen, which we have done several times in our house, uh, you know that Elsa, one of the main characters, uh, she grows up as a princess, and then one of the main events there is her coronation day. It's a day when uh, people are allowed into the castle again, and Elsa goes from being Princess Elsa to now Queen Elsa. and She's known as Queen Elsa throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, the same is true with Jesus. This is, in a sense, his coronation day. He goes and he ascends to heaven to his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father, and he is acknowledged as the Lord of lords, and as the king of kings. Uh, This is a very important moment. And what he does in the ascension, he ascends to a place where he can rule and reign properly over his people and where he can act properly as our high priest. So we know that not only is he our king, but he is also our priest. He is our high priest. And the place where he can do this properly is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. So he goes to a place where he can intercede for us, and that is at the throne of grace. He actually told his disciples before he left that it was actually better for them if he were to go. And one of the reasons why it was better for them, so that his, uh, for this reason, so that he could intercede on their behalf. So if you think of it from, say, a government perspective, if we elect a man or a woman to office, we don't want them to stay here. Instead, we elect them so that they would go and they would, they would represent us, say, in Little Rock at the State House or uh, in D.C. If they were to stay here, they wouldn't be properly fulfilling what we had called them to do. The best or the most good that our representatives can do for us is to be advocating for us there. The same is true with Jesus. It is better for him, or it's better for us, that he be at the throne of grace, advocating for us and interceding for us. He has already accomplished salvation. He has sacrificed himself for our sins. He has conquered death by rising again from the dead, and now... He is doing the most good, interceding on our behalf before the throne of grace. So what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is our intercessor? Well, it means that he is our high priest and that he is fulfilling those duties. Uh, Hebrews 8 gives us some insight into that. Where the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 8 verse 1, it says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. And then a couple of chapters before in Hebrews 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. So as our high priest, he is advocating for us, he is interceding for us at the throne of grace, at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And what's beautiful about this is that he knows what it's like to be us. So we don't have someone there who has no clue what it's like to live here on earth. Instead, he knows it intimately and deeply. And he is bringing those concerns before God the Father in heaven. Um, one of the ways that we're, uh, Stephanie and I are trying to raise our sons is to be knights. You know, to, to have this uh, sense of wanting to protect especially the women around them. Um, and especially their younger sisters. So when I think of the fact that Jesus is interceding for us before God the Father, uh, I think of what I desire for my kids to do. Um, God forbid my daughters come into a situation where they're being, I don't know, bullied or picked on or things like that. Um, I would hate to see my daughters uh, in that situation. But we want to raise our sons in such a way that if they see that, that they would be willing to step in, to defend their sisters, to protect them, to intercede for them, to advocate for them, um, to to protect them as their older brothers. And this is the image that I feel like uh, that Jesus is doing for us. Um, uh, Jesus is uh, advocating for us before God the Father. He is, in a sense, protecting us. He is interceding for us in our trials and in our struggles. How great it is to know that we have someone on our side. To know that someone is on our side. So that was uh, one of the first reasons that it is good for us that Jesus is not here right now. That he is instead in heaven. Is that he is interceding for us. The second reason that it is good that Jesus is not here, but instead is in heaven, is that by Him ascending, He paved the way for the Holy Spirit to come. And when Jesus left, He sent His Spirit to us so that the Spirit could come and do His work. If, uh, if you could summarize the book of Luke as uh, knowing for certainty the gospel of Jesus, you could summarize Acts as uh, knowing for certainty the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit did, in particular, in the early church and what we know that he could do in us as well. So as we journey into Acts, we're going to see the crucial role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. What's really interesting is that when Jesus was here on earth, you know, his name was Emmanuel. He was God with us. And that was amazing. The fact that God could be with us, that he took on flesh, that he's like us. But what's incredible with the Holy Spirit and why it is good for us that Jesus left and returned to heaven is because not only do we have God with us, now with the Holy Spirit, we have God in us. We have God in us. As I was thinking about an example of this to use as an illustration, um, Actually, I thought of a very kind of a trite example, but I think it really communicates uh, what the difference is between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, you know the telephone? It was invented you know, a little over 100 years ago. Uh, amazing invention when it first came out. Um, and what they did is just started laying wire all over the earth so that people could communicate to each other over this wire. They could pick up a headset and talk to someone uh, across the country, eventually across the world. It was incredible, but today uh, to have a landline, uh, some people still have them. We had one when we were in Jacksonville, but now since the invention of the cell phone, not only do we uh, can communicate to someone across a wire, um, we can have uh, access to any someone, anytime, anywhere. And I'm sure that if we took a poll this morning of who had a phone in their pocket, most people would raise their hands. Uh, We have one phone here in the church downstairs. There's a couple of headsets. Uh, But we're not connected. We don't have to be connected to a wire anymore. Instead, with the invention of cell phones, now we are connected through the air wirelessly. And this is what we have through the Holy Spirit. We don't have to be uh, connected to Jesus, the physical person. We have God, the Holy Spirit, inside of us. And this is incredible. As Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so the Holy Spirit is our helper. But how? What does he do? What does he help us with? Um, First of all, what he does is this. He helps us to remember. Does anyone else here have a struggle with remembering things? If you ask my wife, I have a hard time remembering things. Uh, I have a hard time remembering the fact that I left my keys in my vehicle a couple of weeks ago, and I paid the price for that. Um, Thankfully, uh, we have both vehicles recovered, and uh, hopefully we'll have those this week. Um, I have a hard time uh, remembering things that I read, a uh, hard time remembering things that have happened. Uh, but what the Holy Spirit does is that the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the things that we have been taught. Uh, John fourteen twenty six. Jesus says this, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And this is so helpful for the disciples because they're about to be sent out as witnesses of the gospel. So they're going to be sent out as witnesses of what Christ has done in their lives. And what would make a terrible witness is people who could not remember. So if a crime happened and you're at a trial and you bring forward a witness to the stand to testify as to what happened, how awful of a witness would it be if for every question that they were asked, they say, well, I don't remember, or I don't recall, or I, I, that escapes me. That is a terrible witness. You do not want that person taking the stand. Um, if you're anything like, uh, like us and our family, if you try to understand what happened in an incident with your children, often they will say, oh, I don't remember. Or I don't know what happened. And you say, but it just was one minute ago. How could you not remember? Um, uh, Those who do not remember do not make good witnesses. But what the Holy Spirit does is causes us to remember. It helped the disciples to remember the things that they had been taught. And so the Holy Spirit is our helper. So it is good for us that Christ ascended. It proves his lordship. It proves his kingship. And that is a vital piece to the puzzle of who Christ is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is his coronation where he comes into his glory and is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And now he is in a place where he can do the most good for us. He can intercede on our behalf before the throne of grace. And he can send us his spirit so that God is in us as our helper. So, how did the disciples then respond to this activity of Jesus? How did they respond to the ascension? Well, as we read in Luke 24, we read that they responded in joy and they responded with worship. Does that sound vaguely familiar a little bit? Maybe question and answer one of the the shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God, worship, and to enjoy Him forever with joy. This is what the disciples were doing. Because of the ascension and what they saw, not only in the ascension, but in all of Christ's life, they responded by glorifying God and by enjoying Him forever. So first of all, they worshipped Him Uh, Do you remember the disciples' reaction, or can you imagine their reaction after his death? I can imagine that there was a tremendous amount of sorrow and grief, of questions, of doubts, of how could this happen, why is this happening. Uh, there There was much fear and insecurity. But when Jesus left them this time, there was none of that. There was none of that. Instead, they worshiped God. They, fill, they were filled with joy because they understood. When Jesus came back, as we looked at last week, he, he wiped away all their doubts. He brought to, them, uh, to their minds the knowledge of why he had come, that he opened up their minds to the scriptures. Uh, now they can understand God's plan and what has happened, and their result is worship. It is worship. And what's really cool about Luke as well, it says that they returned to Jerusalem and they worshiped God there in the temple. And this also is a bookend. If you remember in the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, we, uh, Luke opens up at the temple as well with Zechariah and this prophecy of, of him having a son and John the Baptist coming. And now as we conclude, Luke as well, as the story fades, if this was a movie and it was kind of fading to black, Uh, we would be right where we started, right here in the temple. So uh, the disciples respond with worship, but they also respond with joy. And why do they have joy? Why do they have joy? Uh, Well, two things. They have certainty, and the, the certainty rests in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. They witnessed Jesus' resurrection, they saw the story of the gospel played out, they saw his death, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the teaching, they witnessed his perfect life, they saw it all. And then they saw him ascend up into heaven, and they have what Luke desired for Theophilus. They had certainty in the things they had been taught because they saw Jesus. Wouldn't it be great to have that type of certainty? So they had joy because they knew for a fact that Jesus was who he says he was. And that was the fact that he was the Messiah. Uh, When he was alive, they hoped that he was. They hoped that he was. Uh, But now they were convinced. They were convinced that Jesus was the crusher of the serpent's head that we read about in Genesis 3. That he was the Passover lamb in Exodus that he was the one to whom all the sacrifices of Leviticus pointed to, that he was the one through whom all peoples on earth would be blessed, as we read about in Abraham's life, that he was the king in the line of David. He was the one who fulfilled all the prophecies of Isaiah. He is the one that they had been waiting for for so long. They had been anticipating this for generations. And finally, it was here and they rejoiced, and they worshipped. Um, it's no wonder that they had joy. Uh, do you remember what it's like to finally receive something that you've been anticipating for something for so long, to finally receive that? Like when a husband or a father or a son comes back from a long deployment, that feeling? Or when you walk across the stage, finally receive that diploma that you've been looking for for so long, uh, or you hold a child in your arms for the first time after you know, nine long months of pregnancy or after a long adoption process. And finally, finally you get to hold that child in your arms. They are so excited that they cannot contain themselves. And we're going to see that played out throughout the book of Acts as they worship and react with great joy. So as we conclude this morning, I pray that we would have certainty that the disciples had, that we would react with worship and joy like they did. Um, And as I was uh, recalling this and, and studying this this past week, I realized that one of the things that I struggle with is that I often lose my joy, is that I don't often live my life with the joy that the disciples displayed here. And one of the reasons is, as I mentioned before, is that I forget. I honestly just forget the goodness of God. We're studying Malachi now in men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. Shameless plug, if you want to come, 6 o'clock on Thursday mornings. But we started off in Malachi, and, uh, and God is talking to the Israelites here through his prophet, and he says, I have loved you, says the Lord. And their response is, but how? How have you loved us? And then he goes on uh, to, to tell them the story, remind them of Jacob and Esau, Basically, what he does is he calls them to remember the things that God had done. Uh, the covenant promises that he made to them and not to others. And honestly, one of the reasons we don't have joy is because that we simply forget that our memories are not that great. So we come together here on a Sunday morning, and we remind ourselves the truth of the gospel. We open up God's word, and we read of his love for us, The other thing that causes us to lose our joy is this, is that we believe lies. And I realized I I do this in my life. Is that I believe that God doesn't love me, that when something bad happens or when I face struggle, I start to have doubts. Uh, I believe that I'm better off on my own, better off without God. I become like the prodigal son. I leave home to seek my own fortune when I realize that all I ever needed, all I ever wanted was To be with my Father in heaven, but God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, pursues us. He seeks us out, and He returns this joy to us. So, as we conclude Luke, not only this morning but after two and a half years, this is my prayer, my hope for us: is that by looking at the life of Christ, is that we would react like the disciples did, with worship and with joy. Because we have certainty in the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. Um, As I mentioned prior, we live in a culture that, uh, that preaches uncertainty, that preaches relativism, that you can't know the truth. In a sense, you can come up with your own truth. Well, I pray that we would know the truth, and that is Christ. And that by knowing this truth, we would be set free. I want to read from 1 Peter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, where you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So because of the certainty of the gospel that we have here in Luke, we are convinced that just as Christ stands in glory, that we will as well one day stand in glory with him. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, I thank you that you have given to us the gospel of Luke in your word, which is such a gift, so that we might, in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, we might have certainty in the things that we have been taught, that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He came to earth, that He was born of a virgin, that He died for our sins on the cross, was raised again three days later, that He ascended into heaven, and that He is now sitting at your right hand, interceding on our behalf. And we can say with confidence that He will come again to judge the living and the dead, And because we believe in Him, we also will be raised, and that we will join Him forever in glory. Lord, I pray that You would continue to give us confidence in the truth of the gospel, and that this confidence would result in worship of You and in joy in our lives, so that we might be powerful witnesses for You. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.